Welcome, everybody. I'm Ray Ray, and I just wanted to uh, make sure that we shared this uh, before uh, we get to the episode's content. On May 26th, we have the Ascension Day Crown Rights Rally. The theme is Ascension, foretold, fulfilled, forever. And just to let you guys know, I know I haven't officially put it on the podcast or the YouTube uh, channel yet, anyway, whenever we've advertised it, but I do have Dave coming down. So he's going to introduce, um, bring us into the Ascension. He is going to pray. Um, I've got uh, Josh Jenkins, which is the elder at Hope Baptist, also a tag fellow. We've got Jason Gunter of Willow Springs First Baptist Church there. I've worked with him in the past at Glenstone Baptist and with his youth group on a summer camp, too. You can check out those episodes where I talk about apologetics with them. And then also I'll be taking the forever point. So we've got foretold, fulfilled forever. We're going to pray for our leadership as we are called to pray um, for our civil magistrates so that they would, that we could live peacefully with them and that they would also come to repentance and faith and rule things underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our city. But Jesus is a public Jesus. He is a public savior and all men are called to repent and confess that and bow the knee to him. And so that's what we will be praying for and proclaiming on thursday may 26th at the historic city hall so that's 8 30 north boonville if you put it in your phone to look it up and we'll be meeting on the grassy part uh that's close to chestnut expressway so that's usually where things go down there um if there's any sort of public demonstrations or whatever but that's where we'll be that's where if you're been a part of the psalm scenes with hope baptist that's where we were and so again this is the ascension day rally um, Ascension foretold, fulfilled forever, Thursday, May 26th, 6 p.m. at the historic City Hall. Time together, pray, sing, and proclaim Jesus' Lordship over our city because he's got the Lordship over the nations. See you there. Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bever. And we are joined today with our good buddy and friend who? Dusty Devers. Yes, glad to have you guys, sir. Man, it's been a little while since I've uh, gotten to talk with you. And uh, we had a little uh, Zoom meeting over something that I have to still keep on a little down low. But I always like to uh, throw these little Easter eggs um, out here and there for our listeners. Uh, so they keep on going, oh, what's what's Ray Ray talking about? So he's keeping something secret. So, I mean, something's going to happen. But uh, thank you again, Dusty, uh, for uh, allowing us to talk with you and to, um, especially when it comes to the whole abolition of abortion thing, also combined with uh, SBC life and everything and how we've uh, come together in the States anyway. Um, I mean, it was because of the SBAA that uh, the Missouri Baptist, you know, we got together and Dave and I were able to uh, do what we did as our our part anyway in Southern Baptist life in the States. So thank you uh, for the opportunity and just uh, your support. And uh, we hope that we are good support for you anyway. But thanks for coming on the show. And so, yes, uh, Dave, um, you've uh, things have been busy in my world. So uh, Dave has definitely uh, been on the uh, connecting end on this one. And so, Dave, uh, take the show away today, man. 
So Dusty, I know you've been on before and I'm really grateful for that, but do us a favor. We have different people who jump on, maybe don't know about you at all or who you are. So if you don't mind, could you open up by just telling us who you are, what you do, uh, give us just a brief bio on what's going on in your life as well. We know you just got back from Louisiana where you were advocating for HB 813. So just kind of give us an update on what's going on in your life. Yeah, well, I'm a pastor at Grace Community Church of Elgin. It's a Reformed Baptist Church, and I have six children, and they range from 17 years old down to uh, four years old, uh, three boys and three girls. They're a wonderful joy, a gift from the Lord. Uh, my wife and I have been married uh, 19 years, and we uh, are just thoroughly enjoying the church where we are and the providence of God and the process of bringing us to Oklahoma and now being involved in the uh, abolition cause. Um, yeah, we just got back from Louisiana and it was quite quite a trip. So I'm sure we'll talk much about it today. Oh, yeah. So oh, one yeah. of the reasons that I really wanted to make sure we got you on here was because you recently authored the resolution on abortion as murder. It's something that both Adam and I have signed. I know that others that we are associated with have likewise signed that. Could you just tell us a little bit of your mindset behind that? Obviously, you were one of the major authors of the resolution on abolishing abortion. So tell us about this new resolution, the mindset behind that, and, and even kind of what that says. Yeah, we knew coming off of the resolution last year uh, and having seen now even more recently since since the Louisiana uh, House Bill 813 was tanked, uh, one of the, the pivotal points in this whole conversation, we call it a, a kind of a mass conversion event uh, to abolitionism, was the resolution being passed at SVC 21. Uh, where you guys were there and, and helped and um, and encouraged along the way. Um, so we knew coming into this year that we needed to write a resolution that really drew a very strong, bold line uh, about what we believe about life from fertilization slash conception. We have to put those together as synonymous terms. We could talk about that later if you'd like. Yeah. We knew we had to draw a real firm, bold line so that those Southern Baptists who read their Bibles and have a consistent hermeneutic, they look and say, well, yes, absolutely. Life from fertilization, conception, is a sacred gift from God. It's for His glory. It's children are born in His image, and He made them, so He owns all souls, therefore the glory of God in Christ. So, implication is, if you take life, as God demands you not, Sixth Commandment, and taking any life from fertilization is murder. We believe that Southern Baptists can not only affirm that, but then also affirm the implications that would flow out of that uh, confession, that biblical confession. Life begins at fertilization, therefore, these conclusions are to be made. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, last year, um, you know, we had that and so yeah, SBCAM 21, we had the, uh, you know, the Southern Baptist resolution for abolishing abortion, um, that does call, um, abortion murder. And what you're saying here is that, 
yeah, we, we, we're saying it, we're saying it, but it's still working out. We're still happy, happily regulating murder. And so I guess we are, we are, I guess it's really out there and it's been talked about, but, uh, SBC, I guess SBC, especially with the ERLC, everything's working at odds right now. Right. And so is that why you're saying that bringing another resolution like this is important? Yeah, it, a lot of the, there is a lot of overlap from the previous resolution, uh, but we work out some of those implications uh, that are a little more clear because of some of the responses that we got last year. We we recognize that some people um, have, people are not well-versed. Let's, let's just say it like this. Pro-lifers are not well-versed in pro-life apologetics. They're not well-versed on the scriptures on life whenever it comes to particular matters. They are extremely undereducated on law whenever it comes to uh, what the federal government can or cannot do, what the Supreme Court can or cannot do, what states' rights consist of in the 10th and 14th Amendments. So we needed to draw out some of those matters as both uh, a means of education, but also unification. We believe that most messengers and Southern Baptists agree with us if they're taught, but they haven't been taught well by the pro-life establishment. So we want to help. One of the things that I often think about when I consider this issue is that for me, once I began to jump into abolitionism, I felt like I'd been hoodwinked by the pro-life industry, the secular pro-life industry. I began to jump on the charge. Hey, I am an abolitionist. Yes, abortion is murder. And then there was this like flip on for those who were sold out for the pro-life movement is, no, 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 you don't want to have women prosecuted. You don't want to have women um, put in jail for getting murdered or for murdering their babies. They're victims. So what do you say? I mean, like that seems to be the main point of contention that I find with the pro-life apologist of our day, people like Bart Barber, people like Denny Burke, people like uh, recently, and, and I was very interested that David French actually jumped on this board and even condemned this, but that's not only them, but a list of people that that some of which I'm, I'm personal friends with and have had discussions with, that seems to be their stronghold. What do you say? Because that tends to be the way that uh, HB 813 was in Louisiana was um, the way that it was portrayed and is continuing to be portrayed. So how do we deal with that at this particular point? Yeah. I mean, I, that is what they have self attested as the fundamental issue that divides abolitionists, abortion abolitionists from pro-life from the the pro-life establishment. So can we make a a couple distinctions? Yeah, please do. Um, I think principled pro-lifers that were, I would probably, I would put myself in that camp before coming to abolitionism. And uh, it sounds like you guys were both in that camp before coming to abolitionism that you thought principled pro-lifers read their Bibles and they say, well, abortion is murder. And we believe that our governing authorities and our pro-life leaders were taking the, the, best approach they could and were doing what they could to abolish 
induction abortion or to end abortion, let's just say end abortion, uh, according to the laws of the land, right? And then there are professional pro-lifers. They're, they are who we would call the pro-life establishment. Yeah. They know better. They're the ones who are making the argument right now that you may not criminalize the act of abortion. That we've, we can only criminalize the abortionist, not anyone who gets an abortion. So that is the divide. That is the distinction. And it's never been more clearly laid out than it has in this moment right now that the three of us and all of the nation exist in. This is a moment that we've not experienced in nearly five decades of the battle that's been raging the current Holocaust against our pre-born neighbors. So this is massive. And for the first time, we have now the pro-life establishment, the ERLC, ERLC, and the list of 50 pro-life organizations coming out on the very, at the exact time that the House Bill 813, which is the Abolish Abortion in Louisiana Act, at the same time it was being argued on the floor, the ERLC and 80 pro-life orgs came out and said, we are never, have never supported criminalization of abortion. Now, that's not how they categorized it, but that's what they're saying. The way they categorize it is, we will never criminalize mothers. And that's a slight, that's a, um, that's an attack, a veiled attack at abolitionists. We don't, oh, yeah. we're not criminalizing mothers. I'm I'm appalled at people like David French and Denny Burke who have created a straw man. They are selling that straw man to people who are actually well-intentioned. We know, Dusty, you and I know that Denny Burke refuses to actually have any type of open public dialogue. We've called him to that. If he really wants to engage people who are at the forefront of this, he has rejected Scott Klusendorf has rejected every opportunity to actually discuss this. Why? Because the reality is that they're going to be exposed for the fraudulency that they are perpetuating and the lies that they are disseminating. That's a reality. Now, I'm grateful that you were down there in Louisiana. I'm really thankful that it wasn't just you. There was a large group of folks. Tell me a little bit about these attacks. And I mean, you guys are there and these things are coming out. Does this take air out of the room? Like, what do you do now as a response that everything that you did has now been portrayed in this way? Yeah. So Apologia Church, Jeff Durbin and In Abortion Now uh, did the lion's share of the work and Brian Gunter, who we met, who I met in the line last year, whenever we were arguing for Senate bill. I mean, uh, um, the resolution on abolishing abortion. I met him in the line. Hmm. We talked, and now, then he then he followed up and went and talked to Jeff Durbin, and then he became an abolitionist. So what you're saying is, real quick, the resolution to abolish abortion actually did something. Southern Baptist. This man is a Southern Baptist. He voted, would have been glad to speak in uh, af- affirmation of this resolution. The same guy whose church, I'm certain, is giving money to the cooperative program to fund the ERLC, 
who then, of course, from the floor directed the ERLC, here is where Southern Baptists stand. What you're saying is that was rejected by people who are operating the one of the entities of the Southern Baptist Convention? Yes. Actually, Brian Gunter, last year, after reading uh, the resolution and then talking to Jeff, it convinced him to become an abolitionist. He's in a doctoral program with an SBC seminary, and he's pastoring a church. The man is bright. He's intelligent. He knows what he's talking about. He was in the pro-life uh, he was, he was working for a pro-life organization for years. He was led by one of our Southern Baptist uh, pastors uh, to go and, and, and seminary professors in, at, at Southwestern to go to abortion mills regularly. The man has, has a, a long history in it, and he became an abolitionist and worked with Bradley Pierce, who wrote the Senate Bill 13, which was the, the Oklahoma bill. It was the first one to uh, the first bill of abolition that was ever put forward in the United States. It's largely the same bill that was being um, voted on in Louisiana House Bill 813. Brian knew what he was doing. He's a committed abolitionist. And he's the one that is taking the biggest heat on this attack in Louisiana from not the pro aborts He's not getting attacked. And we weren't being attacked by the pro aborts There were we had a, a worshipful rally at the Capitol in the rotunda. We sang, a mighty fortress is our God. We did a responsive reading to Psalm 2. We sang amazing grace. We had a, prayers and we had a few guys give two minute speeches. And you know who was heckling us? There were only two pro-aborts. That's it. <clears throat> they were the only ones. So House Bill 813 did not get struck down by the pro-abortion lobby. It was the pro-life lobby that struck it down. That's who the opposition is. So I've, I've shared mm. up here a letter that was authored by the pastor of First Southern Baptist Junction City, Kansas, Ryan Sickinger. I've visited with him on the phone. He's a Kansas-Nebraska Convention of Southern Baptist abolitionist. And he wrote a little letter to Brent Leatherwood. And I wanted to just share this. Um, I, I don't know that you've had a chance to read it at all, Dusty. But is there a way that we could possibly get something like this drafted by the Southern Baptists for the abolition of abortion and have that signed so that when we go to the convention once again from the floor, you don't just start with the resolution. You call for this guy to step down right away because what he did was evil. What he did was actually perpetuate because at this point, guess what? In Louisiana, they're still murdering babies. But yep. if this law gets passed, that ends. And the pro-life people say that they want to work to the end. Wait a second. They had an opportunity to work to the end. Um, yeah, absolutely. We can get a letter drafted and we'd have a, the support of many uh, on both sides of this issue, because the reality is, are there some Southern Baptists that are still in the pro-life establishment that do not think that the act of abortion should be criminalized? Are there some? Yes, there are. Denny Burke is one. Brian Leatherwood is one. Uh, there are several other so-called ethicists who are in that camp. And there's a lot who won't come out and say anything, 
because they actually believe like us. So there is a swath of Southern Baptists that are represented by the pro-life establishment, but there's also a major group of us who are abolitionists in the SBC that knew exactly what we were doing when we voted on the resolution to abolish abortion. We passed out over 10,000 pieces of literature at the Southern Baptist Convention last year. We had swarms of people there. It say swarms. It was probably 20 people, but we were doing a lot of work. Uh, and people read the resolution. So to say that, like, like the ERLC did, that the SBC is not represented by abolitionists, and to come out in opposition to abolitionists is, at best, a lie. Yeah. At yeah. Deception. At yeah, work, there's a, we're walking down. Say, yeah. And so, like, so, you know, some of those things that, uh, you know, just to put the arguments out there, um, abolitionists, what kind of arguments are we receiving? We're receiving that we are totally against women. Is that the abolitionist case? against women yeah because that's the way that these things are working out you know that's just whenever i'm reading things it's like you guys are totally anti-woman it's like i didn't think that because i think there's little women in the womb that are yeah. being slaughtered right and so um what a, you know like what are these things and they're they're coming from the pro-life side yeah. um you know this is only continuing the story that i i mean i tell behind the chair when I'm talking to people about this um, and just, just normal conversation, no matter where I'm at, it's like, you're like, what you're saying is the pro boards aren't really doing anything. They're just watching us fight and devour ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what, so what, so you're saying for now, um, you know, it is this women issue. Um, what is the, give us some more reaction from the pro-life side anyway, against just, just to get those little piece of arguments because I think people need to hear them so they can process them and be able to answer them um, gently, winsomely, um, with respect. Winsome? Yeah. Well, in a in a, way, a roundabout way. I mean, we have to be we have to call out venom grace and, and truth whenever we have to. Yeah, grace and truth. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, on Twitter, on social media, and in these letters, the the pro-life establishment has taken measures that are very overt to posture the abolitionist as against women, as some kind of misogynist. They did it last year on the floor of the SBC. They did it in articles that they released. They've done it in recently between uh, the conversations or, or videos that they release, uh, Bart released a video before the resolution came out last year and he was on the resolution committee. Now, I, I think that's a conflict of interest, <clears throat> but this has been over and over that they've done this and abolitionists. Our position is not that we hate women. We actually love women. We think we're actually consistent in our love for women, not only born women, but Preborn women. And here's what how we would uh, like to see abortion treated. It all we're asking is a simple a, to simply put abortion in the homicide codes 
the act of the premeditated murder of a preborn child from fertilization concept or conception to put that put it in the homicide codes and let each case be adjudicated according to the merits of that particular case. Now, that has nothing to say about the inherent goodness or badness of women. Just like whenever we put uh, murder for hire in the criminal code, you can't hire someone to murder your child or to murder anybody. Well, we're saying that that that's a crime. Now, you're innocent until proven guilty. That's what uh, the posture of the justice system actually should be. Often it's not, unfortunately. But the posture is innocent until proven guilty. If a mother is coerced or if she has uh, what's called uh, she doesn't have mens re or doesn't have the intention to murder her child. Or she truly has been deceived. It's called a mistake of fact. It's in every homicide code. These already exist in the homicide codes. We don't need to rewrite them. All of these provisions for a truly innocent mother are already existing in current homicide codes. They will protect her. But what they will not do is protect that pimp or the man who's forcing her or even her parents or others who are accomplices in this murder uh, of a preborn child. So it's simple. Put abortion in the homicide codes. The act of abortion needs to be criminalized so that we can give equal protection to all lives. Now, does that sound like a hateful position towards mothers? Sounds to me like the pro-life people would rather say that murder isn't a crime which seems to be the position that they're taking when they say that we want to hate that we hate women does that make sense yes yeah of course i wouldn't actually contend that they do believe that but that's the way we're being portrayed as a straw man which is crazy i want to do something real quick you talked about bart barber and he is running for the president of the sbc and he has a position statement on his page and if you don't mind i'd kind of like to take a look real quick with you at it because this goes directly to his page itself when he is asked about what is his position on abortion and if you don't mind i'd like to get some of your thoughts on that because i do think that there's some straw mans here and so i'm just going to kind of read some of that if that's okay uh, this is not an attack on bart but this is a demonstration of what i believe is a major concern uh, again i'm not saying oh man we can't vote for this guy what i'm saying is here is the actual evidence of what we have been claiming when it comes to the straw men that they're throwing up so he writes i am pro-life life begins at conception well obviously as dusty has pointed out that's not enough life begins at fertilization what do you mean by that real quick dusty life begins at fertilization well unfortunately in the 1960s the medical establishment divorced fertilization the term when a sperm and an egg fuse and they create a single cell organism which has all the DNA and chromosomes of, a, of its own distinct organism. They separated fertilization from conception. They defined conception to be post-implantation. So that egg moves from the fallopian to, or the, not the egg, the embryo, a child, moves from the fallopian tube down to 
the endometrium or the uterine wall and it attaches or implants. And after it has implanted, then they define that as conception. Big Pharma did made that obfuscation and that double speak. Really, it's wicked and devilish. So that they're both birth control medications that are abortive fashioned. They're not contraceptive. Contraceptive is means to keep uh, pregnancy happening that aren't abortive fashioned, that don't kill embryos. You could call them embryocidal. But they knew that the third mechanism of action on those chemical birth controls, IUDs, patches, injections, all of those uh, separate. The third mechanism of action is abortive fashion. It kills a child that has so that it can't uh, implant or attach to the endometrium. It makes the endometrium inhospitable and slough it off in the period. That's what happened in the 60s. Now, you have to dig through a lot of the white papers and through the med guides on most of these drugs to understand what's happening. But those chemical birth control pills are abortive fashion, and Big Pharma did not want the ethical uh, burden on doctors and nurses to have to say, this pill that you're taking has a failure rate and it could kill your child. So that's what happened. And that's why we've got to link fertilization. and So Dusty, one more time, if, if you don't mind, I think that that component of conception as an arbitrary term needs to be crystallized a little more for our audience. I don't know if, not that I'm questioning anybody's understanding, but it can be a little bit confusing even for me because when I read conception, I usually am thinking, well, when the sperm fuses with the egg. So what is the necessary distinction and why is it kind of problematic to even use that term? Yeah. Conception um, as a term was, was defined by the medical industry in the 60s to be post-implantation. It's not at fertilization. So what we believe from the, from the scriptures is that conception happens whenever that new life begins and fertilization is the scientific term for when new life begins. And that's at when that sperm and that egg unite fertilization conception happen at the same time, but to use the term without understanding that is to play on big medica, big, big pharma's playing field. Unfortunately, it's a broad term that says, conception happens after implantation. So now that if you kill the child before implantation, it's okay. They weren't conceived. We as Christians need to define the term as God's word defines it and put conception to be synonymous with fertilization. And I think this is unfortunately just more of the lack of education that's out there in the pro-life um pro-life industry or the establishment, if we were educating people about this, then we would also start to recognize the implications that there are drugs and most of the drugs like plan B and, uh, and the, and are you 486? They are, they're working on that third mechanism of action. They are 
killing a conceived child, a an embryo. And so life begins at fertilization slash conception is a far more accurate way to talk about it. I want to jump down here real quick in this because I think that this is important. So he says, of course, I celebrate the impending reversal of Roe versus Wade. That's typical pro-life speak, right? No, all that's going to happen if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, by the way, is every state's going to have to do what Louisiana was attempting to do. And so actually it just kicks the ball down the road for the pro-life movement and allows them to exist longer because what they're going to do is just, again, continue to, uh, to use Adam's words, cut an inch a million times. Right. Like there's that. And like, they're not, they're not repenting. So they're, they're not going to come out and say the worldview in which the constitution was written. It was a given that, you know, the, the baby was a human being. And they, so it was not even a question. So, I mean, this does come down to the difference between the uh, living document type people where it's constantly like, it's just a bunch of words on paper. And then the context is whatever arbitrary uh, world we find ourselves in at the time that we got to question something, but they're not going to come out and say, nope, this is the worldview the constitution was written in. Everybody, every person, every human being has a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as includes children in the womb and stuff like that. So they're not going to do that, but they're going to only prove that the abolitionists were doing the right thing from the very beginning. Yet what he says, uh, he keeps on going. It says the pro-life movement has done all that was possible under American law. And that's where he's wrong. So again, Roe versus Wade was never law of the land. And it only gets codified whenever the pro-life people actually made legislation that gave permission, how, when, where, why. Yep. So road row is not even codified now, is it, Dusty? No, absolutely not. And every Democrat knows that. They just lost on what is the House, and the they tried to pass a law that would codify Roe as the law of the land, and they didn't have enough votes to do it. Even there in the House, that it's Democrat uh, run majority. So they know it. The question is why don't pro-lifers know it this is this is what we've been saying for the last 49 years the pro-life movement it's its practice has been to submit to the supreme court's decision which is not a law of the land as though it is the divinely given law from on high and so we work within the row parameters this is you can't get away from any pro-life uh, website without understanding. We work within the parameters of the law and they recognize Roe as the law of the land. But here's what your Supreme Court is telling you right now. They might have already come out with their decision today, but in their preliminary decision, they said for the last 49 years since Roe was passed, the court was uh, usurping the role of the states and the constitution. The court was wrong and we've got to overturn and put it back to the states. Now they, they admit the court is admitting that they made an iniquitous decision. They won't call it that, but they made a decree that was, that was dead wrong and they need to overturn it. Now that's not what the pro-life industry has been saying. They've been saying we've got to submit to the courts. Abolitionists since 2011 
uh, whenever the modern abolition uh, um, awakening began uh, for abolishing abortion, said, we don't bow to the courts as though they are God. They made a decision. They didn't define law. We must defy the court. And you know what the courts are saying right now? Abolitionists, you were right. Pro-life strategy for the last 49 years was wrong. Not only according to, now we would say not only according to, to law and to the courts, but according to God. For 49 years, that's the biggest problem. We were usurping God's authority. We weren't recognizing his word as sovereign in this situation. So we have bowed for, for 49 years to a court and uh, a, a decision that was wrong. And we abolitionists are saying we've always said the states should be abolishing abortion uh, per their constitution, the 10th and the 14th Amendment. I want to jump through a little bit of this. I know, gosh, we had so much we could get to with some of Denny Burke's stuff and some of David French's stuff, but I think that this is a key piece here because in summary, uh, Dr. Barber uses their same framework to come about these statements that are going to be said here next. And I think they're important to be, um, to be worked through. He says, a new movement has arisen that's called itself abortion abolition movement. Of course, that's I've never heard anyone called it abortion abolition. It's usually the abolition of abortion movement or the abolitionist movement, as though pro-life advocates weren't in favor of the abolition of abortion. Actually, we can see from what just happened in Louisiana, HB 813, that in fact, uh, the pro-life movement is opposed to. Here was the opportunity to end abortion and the pro-life movement fought against it. So that's false. That's a false statement. Go for it. Yeah, let me add, Dave. Uh, just just for current events here in the in Missouri, um, we have five of eight people needed on a committee. Um, where Mike Moon's Senate Bill six ninety nine is in, we have five people that have pledged to say if Senator Bill White puts it on up to a vote in the committee, we will vote it out of committee. I get lied to by um, the secretary saying that oh, it's not in a form that will pass committee. I sent and I said I know for a fact that will pass out of committee. It just comes down to if Senator Bill White actually believes that females can actually be murderers. And he said, well, of course, Senator Bill White um, believes that females are capable of murder. And I'm like, okay, then there's no problem with SB 699. So what's happening here is we have a pro-life Republican committee chairman that all he has to do is not do anything. And if he was actually for abolition at any level, like, you know, if, he, if he's going to be like Doug Ritchie, he says, I'm going to sign anything up to and including abortion. He's on the House side for sure. He's not a senator. But if Senator Bill White is pro-life, if he is going to be for abolition, he has it in his power right now in a committee to put it up to a vote. And I'm sure he knows he's got five people that the five of eight that we need to vote it out of the committee get it onto the Senate floor to end up getting voted on, hopefully go to the House and get to the governor's desk. So just to let you know, your pro-life Republican people are withholding any sort of real possibility of actually ending abortion, even in our state. So I just had to put that out there. Dusty, I want to get your thoughts on this real quick. All these individuals like Dr. Barber, like Denny Burke, like um, Scott uh, Klusendorf, 
uh, individuals like him or are like those who say that they are for the end of abortion. How are they really for the end of abortion or for the uh, making abortion illegal if they're not going to prosecute people who are actually um, actually engaging in abortion? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's the th- this is this is the most uh, I, I don't know I, I want to say confusing. It's not confusing mostly. I just don't. There's there's a big problem here, and it's got to be addressed. If you are an incrementalist and you say like like Denny Burke does in his argument that we'll take that hundred yard uh, hell Mary, which that's what he thinks abolition is. But you want the increment to move move further and further, further down the field. And you get to that half inch line or let's say a millimeter line, whatever you've parsed it down to. What are you left with? You are left with we have to if we're going to establish equal justice, I mean, to establish equal protection, which is justice, then we have to criminalize the act. You have to. Mm-hmm. You're left with an injustice towards the lives of the preborn. They have to come, they have to come to terms with this. They have to come to terms with what is what abolitionists are saying. That for justice to happen, the act must be criminalized, and they they don't want to acknowledge that. I have to get to at least one of these. So he gives four different things that he says the pro-life movement and the abolition Mm -hmm. movement differ. He says, number one, abolitionists generally oppose exceptions in the law to save the life of the mother. Can I say something about that real fast? Please. I wanted you to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in 1973, Doe versus Bolton, there was a health exception that defined what Roe would mean. And it was broad enough for the life of the mother to include such things as anxiety. Now, mm. we who wants a mother to have the right to kill her child just because she's anxious about having a child? That's what the that's how wide the gate has swung on exceptions for the life of the mother. Now, if you instead put this in the homicide code. The homicide code code already parses out who is not a murderer and who is a murderer. So you don't need to make superfluous exemptions whenever you've got the homicide codes existing, number one. Number two, we know that Planned Parenthood and all of these other independent abortuaries use this life of the mother exception as a as the principal means for bringing about abortions. Oh, just, just tell them it was for your, your own mental health or your own sanity. That's why the exceptions are completely unnecessary. Now, what about ectopics mm-hmm. or emergency uh, pregnancy situations? Well, those are, those are simply dealt with like any other triage situation that comes into a hospital. You know, you don't schedule uh, an emergency situation at a hospital. Uh, you have to go and quickly uh, deal with an emergency situation, whereas women are scheduling abortions. So mm-hmm. you don't need abortuaries uh, to deal with 
ectopic pregnancies. You need a hospital and a doctor who's keeping, who's pr- seeking to protect both lives and do everything they can. Well, yeah, so basically it's our position that actually in that case is doing what they say they want. They want you to protect the white or the woman and the baby. We're doing both whenever we're doing yep. that, except for you actually have to make a definition here and people are not making that definition. The question is always asked and we can bear with somebody in love over this because it's so contained in our brains from culture that somehow like we conflate ectopic and abortion. And we do need to be like, no, no, that's completely. Thank you again for bringing to, that to the forefront, that definition between ectopic emergency things versus a planned parenthood basically and or not parenthood is what what's what the difference is let me let me just say this uh henry blackman who was an author of roe wrote in a footnote footnote number 54 the most biting indictment about people who would say these things about us that we don't want exceptions for the life of the mother here's what he says he says that um the state of texas was betraying by giving automatic immunity to the primary perpetrators of the crime, even if for exceptions of, of health, uh, the state of Texas was betraying the fact that they didn't actually think preborn humans were fully human and deserving of protection. That's what Dusty, I'm going to have to wrap us up here, but I want to give you about two or three minutes to kind of give us your vision for what's going to need to happen in Anaheim. Uh, and why it's important for people to get there and what they can do. Um, sorry also, to kind of cut like us off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to add to that, like how, um, you know, just like we, we did with uh, the Missouri thing after the, uh, the SBC thing, how can we um, go ahead? Like, do we continue to champion the same resolution or is there something that we can take from, since the SBC has already said this as a, as a national entity um, that we could bring this in state-wise with what we're doing this year hmm. as the SBAA. Yeah. So I think what we're probably going to present as our resolution is a tweetable resolution because Bart said he showed a resolution from many, many years ago and he said, let's have some more of these. So we might, present this shortened version and it's called the resolution on abortion is murder and must be treated as such. And this would be it. Whereas abortion from fertilization conception beyond is murder. Be it therefore resolved that the church must wield the word to preach both the law and gospel of grace. And the state must wield the the sword of justice, granting equal protection as God demands to abolish abortion without exception or compromise. Hmm. Very short. It's to the point. Uh, I think most Southern Baptists who are at least principled and reading their Bibles will agree with that. Uh, I think it would be quite ugly to have a fight over this and the watching world be saying, well, look, Southern Baptists don't believe that abortion is murder. Well, let's treat it like it is if we say we do amen um yeah so going into going into anaheim i think that this is one of the most incredible times uh to to be alive i think that what god has given us is a major stewardship to see abortion abolished in our land state by state 
what we're seeing for the first time is so many pro-lifers are are defining very clearly their position. They've been brought out of, of their hiding, so to speak, on this major issue. We've all, I mean, most of us have known that they didn't want to criminalize it, but now they've come out and they've presented this. And what you're seeing on social media is your typical principal pro-lifer who is a messenger saying, we agree with the abolitionists. We want to criminalize the act. So what, what's happening in, by God's grace is, like we said last year, the principal issue in our land is the bloodshed of the preborn. It's the Holocaust that's 10 times greater than Hitler's. That is, like Francis Schaeffer said, it, it's here. Every abortion clinic exists because uh, the church has not stepped up and done what she should have. Schaefer's statement was uh, he, that it exists by permission of the church. And so we have been given this stewardship by God. We're going uh, and we see God by in his grace making this the principal dividing distinction, not CRT even, but will we repent of our approach to life that has been iniquitous, that has, has been partial to the guilty and has condemned the innocent, the, the babies in the womb, will we repent of that and then actually establish justice as God demands and give equal protection? I'm really excited that that's where the conversation is. Now, whether our resolution is passed or not, that's the conversation. And that's where mm -hmm. it needs to be. Because when people are reading their Bibles and applying it, applying God's word to this issue of the Holocaust of our preborn neighbors. If they are reading their Bibles, they will affirm with us that they must receive equal protection as God demands. You shall not murder. And if you murder, your life should be accounted from you. Now, that means that the homicide codes will do a sufficient job. As we go into SBC, I'm excited. I think everybody needs to try to join us. Tom Askell has come and, and uh, affirmed the reality of what the scriptures say on this. And Bart Barber has been aggressively against us, not only last year, but he's continued his uh, untruths. And he's continued to, to say that what we don't believe and to, to pot to posit those uh, positions to us. But Tom has been very clear and defining this according to God's word. So you're now drawing the distinctions between the platform and the ERLC and Brent Leatherwood types and Nathan Finn and Bart Barber and Denny Burke and those guys who are defending the institution and the common regular messengers who are reading their Bibles and the CBN the Conservative Baptist Network has been some of the most vocal about life must be protected equally. They have now have now vocally supported the reality that if we want to protect all lives, we've got to do it according Amen. to God. So now those distinctions are there. They're defined and clear. So we need to get there and vote. And what we're saying is come and repent with us. Mm -hmm. and that we'll see what happens. We need to go state by state 
and pass bills of abolition. And if they won't pass it, replace those governing authorities because they're not according to God's word. That's right. Yep. And this is why the SBC is such a great thing because it's, we come together on mission and we really need to consider this. This isn't like, yeah, it's not sending a missionary across the seas. We need to work, you know, we need to work on that. And we do a really good job at that, but we need to understand that we are also on a mission in our home land and we are to, to uh, hold back those that are being led to slaughter. That's missionary work. Mm -hmm. And so this is just as missionary as going into the, uh, the, the dark reaches of some area of tribal groups and trying to get them the gospel. It's saving them. And eventually we want to get to those babies that get saved by this to then know who Jesus is. So, I mean, this is a missionary work that we need to do. So um, uh, we continue on the reason why the SBC is so important because we have so many people, we have so many churches. Uh, A lot of people ask me like, Adam, you're the way that you are, the way that you talk, like, why are you so interested in denominational life? And I'm like, we have so many people we have. And we have like a scene in Missouri. I just like for the NBC, uh, we have 1800 churches. Just think if you have 1800 churches represented in a document, say it's by uh, Don Hinkle, the pathway that lives up in Jeff city. If he goes up and goes, I have 1800 churches, which are at least 300 people in each church. It's going to be more than that, but just say 300 people times 1800 that say, we want you Senator want you representative to work for the actual criminalization of abortion in our state. That's a big deal. You might not think it's a big deal and some people might not treat it as a big deal, but that's a big deal. If we can stand, you know, as, as uh, Dusty has said in uh, some of his videos, you know, that if we stand with one prophetic voice together in our state um, to our magistrate, st- you know, stop murdering babies, stop making it legal, stop sanctioning it. And then making sure that they're thinking through it, because I've talked again, we know the story that I've put to, that I that I've talked about, you know, like when I say to ask somebody, you know, like whenever you do this, whenever you sign a bill and it says you can murder here, not here, it implies this. And the person told me it doesn't imply that. And then that's whenever reason goes out the window and you have to speak to the heart. Um, and that's where even as brothers, we have to bury th- with each other in love. If we are brothers, we're in Christ. Christ died for him. So that means that sin had been nailed to Christ. So I have to treat it that way, though my flesh gets in the way. But we need to have our in-house mission work where we deal with one another. And then we need to go out and rescue those who are being led to slaughter. And this is a way that we can do it. And it's a lot more simple, um, really, in this area than actually going to the murder mills and then making your life available for adoption. So let's do something. And this is one thing that anybody can be a part of. That's Dusty. my little two cents. Oh, Dusty, Adam, I'm so glad to get to visit with you guys. This is a great way to begin my week after a great Lord's Day. Dusty, I'm praying for you. And Adam, I'm, I'm praying for you. I look forward to having you on the program when uh, when we get to Anaheim. And uh, it'll mm-hmm. be a, a great thing. So I am sorry to have to cut us off because I could continue. Like I said, we had a ton of yeah. stuff that we could have worked through, yeah. but we're so fortunate. We're going to get to visit with Dr. Askell right after this. So thank you, Dusty, so much. And I'm going to hand things over to Adam to close us out here. All right. So you know how to end the show, don't you, Dusty? Yep. All right. Just making sure. Well, anyway, well, thank you, Dusty. Uh, thank you, Dave, for uh, your time. And uh, we'll let this one uh Go out and sink into the hearts of people, and we hope this uh, equips you and uh, that you find it uh, just something that you can share 
um, with your friends and your family um, as we continue to move forward to preach the gospel in many the many ways that we do. Um, but with that said, this is the Tag Gear Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. I'm Dusty. And so is Dio. Gloria.